No. I don't believe it. It's not possible. I didn't say it would be easy, Neo. I just said it would be the truth. Stop. Let me out. Let me out. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and I hope you're having a bloody fantastic day, as always. In fact, uh, you know, you could pretty much carry that forward to every podcast I ever make. I'll always hope that you're having a fantastic day, because why not? Now, uh, Mike here, that might be a different story. Can't speak for him because Mike's a bit of a prick and, uh, you know, doesn't wish good things for other people. You know, if you were having a fantastic day, Mike would probably feel a little bit jealous because he's blind, he can't speak, and he's an inanimate object. I wish I could say his entire existence isn't just sitting there um, gathering breath and spittle from me, Uh, but I can't say that. So bad luck for Mike. Service is... Uh, its own reward. Okay, buddy. So last week we ended the podcast on uh, you know a bit of a cliffhanger, I think, you know, or I guess maybe not a cliffhanger as such, but you know, we're, we're talking story. We might as well use story terms, right? So, you know, I, I know you probably weren't sitting there with bated breath uh, waiting for the next episode to resolve that final statement I made, um, but I am going to do that. So, if you were, then, well, lucky you. Um, you know, you're welcome and all, and all that. But, but I actually said at the end of the podcast, maybe you need to tell yourself better stories. And this is something that I believe in uh, quite strongly, I guess, uh, more so in the last few years as I've been uh, trying to live a more positive life. It's been interesting because I'd, I'd started to recognize at a certain point that cynicism and you know masking uh, masking ideas in in, in humor were actually defensive mechanisms uh, to try and avoid being seen as stupid or shameful and I and I saw that in our culture especially in Australia but uh, in many cultures throughout the world the idea of being positive is seen as kind of weak and uncool and I don't think that's really fair and if we live that philosophy, where does it lead us? You know, we're going to end up with a whole bunch of people just kicking each other in the balls and never saying a nice thing about anything. So there's a there's a, a dystopic future for you. Um, maybe not so much if you're a woman and you don't have balls, but uh, yeah, for the for us males, whew, no one wants to live like that. So um, this idea of telling yourself stories. Um, you know, we've talked on the podcast uh, since it started about, you know, the types of stories that you tell, the types of stories that you absorb and how they affect your consciousness and the collective consciousness. But what about the stories you tell yourself? We really haven't covered this idea that uh, that you really are just a collection of stories and that some of them are not externally sourced. Some of them are the beliefs that you hold 
and the narratives you tell about your life. And let's face it, a lot of the stories that we tell are really just for our own benefit. You know, um, we repeat things about ourselves that we want to be true or that we want others to believe. Um, in a lot of ways, it goes back to, I think, you know, that first episode where we talked about how uh, everything we do is just virtue signaling. And in a way, it is. We're always aware that everything that we do and say is presenting a picture to the world of who we are. I was uh, introduced uh, many years ago now to an idea which I think uh, it changed the way I thought uh, about the beliefs that I hold and probably informs a lot of what we're talking about in the podcast. Uh, this came from my cousin Rodders, who uh, he and I used to do a podcast called the 1240 Hangover Cure podcast, uh, renamed to the Cerebral Flatulence podcast. Um, we haven't done it for a while. This makes me sad. Hopefully we'll pick it up at some point. Um, but he introduced me to the idea of self-limiting beliefs. And it was something that I hadn't really thought about before, this idea that my beliefs could possibly limit my potential and my ability to get things done. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that does make a lot of sense. That if I tell myself I can't, well, for example, do a podcast by myself, then I'll probably never try to do a podcast by myself. And that means it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So strategy may be your problem, often it is, but more often you're missing the number two thing you need, and that is the right story. Because the story you have about your life, or about your business, about the area of your life that's not where you want, the area you're breaking through, your story is what's making you be stuck. What's a story? It's a belief that you tell yourself over and over again, like, I don't know the salt is, I don't know the salt is. You tell the story so often you believe it. So the story keeps us from it. If you don't have the relationship you want, what's the story? All the good ones are gone and they're gay and I'm not, or they're not gay and I am. This is a story. The story is there. In fact, write this down. The only thing keeping you from getting what you want the only thing keeping you from getting what you want is the story you keep telling yourself about why you don't have it. And wow, I am just motivated. I mean, I'm so motivated. That was motivational. So a uh, bit of Tony Robbins there. The only self-help guru who I would listen to uh, other than my cousin Rodders, um, and both of them agree that the stories we tell ourselves are what determines, to some extent, a large extent, what we become. So, you know, something worth thinking about there. What stories do you tell yourself? Do you tell yourself, you know, you're overweight and there's nothing you can do about it? I tell myself that all the time. Uh, do you tell yourself you need to have a drink to fall asleep? I've told myself that one a few times as well. In fact, I kind of still believe it. Can't wait to have a glass of wine later. <sighs> I'm not shaking because of my alcohol addiction. I'm shaking because of the cold, even though the heat is on. And he used to stare at the universe and say, how far does this universe go? My father was a doctor. And I would think, oh, daddy, how far does the universe go? And he said, son, it goes on forever. So I said, please measure forever. Because in school, they're teaching me that if I cannot measure it, it does not exist. It doesn't come into my frame of reference. So how far does eternity go? What does forever mean? And I would lie there 
crying at night because my imagination could not touch creativity. So what did I do? At that time, at the tender age of seven, I created a story. What was my story? There was a, and I don't know why, but I remember the story. I was a woodcutter, there is a woodcutter, who's about to take his ax and chop a piece of wood. And the whole galaxy is one atom of that ax. And when that ax hits that piece of wood, that's when everything will destroy and the Big Bang will happen again. But all before that, there was a woodcutter. And then when I would run out of that story, I would imagine that that woodcutter's universe is one atom in the ax of another woodcutter. So every time I could tell my story again and again and get over this problem, and so I came over and got over the problem of, a how did I do it? Tell a story. So what is a story? A story is our, all of us. We are the stories we tell ourselves. In this universe and in this existence, where we live with this duality of whether we exist or not, and who are we, the stories we tell ourselves are the, the stories that define or define the potentialities of our existence. A story is the relationship that you develop between who you are or who you potentially are and the infinite world. And that's our mythology. And in telling the stories, we tell our stories and a, and a, and a person without a story does not exist. So we all, everybody has a story that they follow. We tell ourselves story and we, so I will go further and I say, I tell a story and therefore I exist. I exist because there are stories. And if there are no stories, we don't exist. We create stories to define our existence. If we do not create the stories, we, God, we go mad. So that's uh, Shekhar Kapoor. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, yet I have very little hope that I am. Um, he's a Bollywood director speaking in a TED talk in 2009. And some interesting thoughts there. Uh, he seems to be in line with, with my crazy ideas of taking story uh, very seriously. Um, and I think I said in the last podcast, it might be the meaning of life. I think he's on the same page there. Uh, not quite the meaning of life, but he did say that story defines our existence, uh, which is pretty wacky. It's pretty wacky. Uh, he's out there. He's on the fringe. And, of course, being uh, you know, a film director, of course, he's going to say story's important uh, and blow up his own uh, value to society. But at least, uh, you know, he agrees with me, which is the main thing. Even if a conscious intention were truly simultaneous with its neurophysiological underpinnings, there would still be no room for free will. Because you still wouldn't know why it is you do what you do. Let's, let's run a little experiment. Think of a city any, anywhere in the world. <clears throat> you can choose any city you want. And now, of course, I, I could have primed you. I could have artfully placed cues in my speech in the last few minutes that would make you more likely to think of Las Vegas, for instance. So just to be on the safe side, don't pick Vegas. <clears throat> but pick a city, any city, and, and just be, pay attention to what this conscious process is like. Now, the first thing to notice about this is this is as free a decision as you are ever going to make in your life. Okay, you have all the cities in the world to choose from, and I'm just asking you to pick one. Now, several cities have probably occurred to you, and just focus on one. 
Okay. Did you see any evidence for free will? We better be able to find it here. I mean, if it's not here, it's not anywhere. So uh, let's look for it. First, let's set aside all those cities whose names you don't know and therefore could not have picked. And then there are many other cities whose names are quite well known to you, but which simply didn't occur to you to pick. I mean, for instance, perhaps Cairo didn't occur to you. You absolutely know that Cairo is a city, but for whatever reason, your Cairo circuits were not engaged. Okay, as, as a matter of neurophysiology, Cairo was not in the cards. <clears throat> so I want you to think about this. Were you free to choose that which did not occur to you to choose? And now this is the sort of decision that motivates the idea of free will. This is, you've got two or more choices and you're picking between them and it's just you and your thoughts. There's no coercion from the external world. You are doing it, apparently. But when you look closely, I think you'll find that you are in no position to know why you picked what you picked. In this case, why you chose Tokyo over Paris. I mean, you might have some additional story to tell about it. <clears throat> you might think, well, I had Japanese food last night, and so I, I remembered it, and I, uh, I picked Tokyo. Now, of course, we know from psychology that these kinds of stories are, are rather often false. Whenever people are manipulated in a lab, they always have some tale to tell about why they did what they did, and it, it never bears any relationship to the actual variables that, that, that cause them to behave that way. Psychology is replete with evidence that we are very poor judges of, of why it is we, retrospectively, why it is we, we do what we do. <clears throat> the, the thing to notice about this is that you as the conscious witness of your inner life are not making these decisions. You can only witness these decisions. So if you, if you pay attention to how thoughts and intentions arise and how decisions get made moment to moment, I think you can see that there's no evidence for free will, that actually our experience in life is compatible with the truth of determinism. No narratively speaking podcast would be complete without a bit of Sam Harris in there. Actually, I've got to be honest, I don't really know why I keep using clips from Sam Harris. Uh, I'm not th that massive a fan, really. I mean, I listen I listen to the podcast. Uh, I like his interviews. Um, some of his ideas, you know, shit me up the wall, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I wonder if he's not just looking for affirmation from his audience to have uh, some pretty nasty ideas about Muslims and... I don't uh, subscribe to those at all. So um, anyway, that's not really the point, is it? Um, the point is uh, Sam Harris believes in this concept of determinism and th things are going to get a bit muddy here, um, mainly because this is an area where uh, my ideas are a bit muddy, um, but it's something that I really do want to uh, think through. Um, I'm just going to take you by the hand. We'll think through it together. Determinism is a bit of a challenging idea, I think, for many people. Certainly for me, it has been. And to boil it down, it's, it's just the concept that if you believe that uh, every effect has a cause, that is incompatible with the concept of free will. But like most things, it's not true unless you hear it in a British accent. 
Determinism is the idea that every event in the universe has a cause, but more than that, those causes necessitate their effects. Given the causes, the effects have to happen. One of the most famous expressions of determinism came from 19th century French scientist Pierre-Simon Marquis de Laplace, who said that if we knew the positions and speeds of every particle in the universe and all the laws that govern them, we would be able to flawlessly predict the future. Though Laplace gets credit for summing up determinism so nicely, the idea goes back at least to ancient Greece. Whether or not he was correct about it is the subject of a great deal of interesting physics and mathematics, but in philosophy, determinism is most often encountered as an apparent challenge to the idea of free will. So in order for story to have the kinds of effects that we're talking about and, and for the, the stories that we tell ourselves to have a meaningful outcome in our lives, we kind of have to have free will, don't we? If we don't have free will, that means the actions that we take are inevitable and the stories we tell ourselves are meaningless. That's a bit of a spanner in the works for the likes of Tony Robbins, who's talking about how to find success and how to improve your life. Uh, when in reality, if determinism is true, then he's just been a lucky cunt. Uh, you know, his life hasn't been the result of any strategies or stories that he's told himself, uh, that, that, that the energy of the universe was going to go where it was going to go, regardless of what he did. And the fact that he was successful is completely random. The particles in his body needed to get to the place where they are now, and they needed to consume the energy that they consumed to get there. And nothing was going to change any of that. He just told a story retrospectively about his success. And it's a story that people like to hear. So we listen to him and we pay to listen to him. What kind of a worldview is this, though? I mean, how can this possibly be true? How can you reconcile this idea that you have no power to change what happens in your life? How can you look at the whole universe as if it's just energy sort of pulsing and surging and subsiding uh, randomly or even possibly in some kind of a pattern that we can't quite see and that how that affects our lives uh, is completely out of our hands. What's the point of anything, right? So, so let's just debunk it right now. I mean, you know, fuck determinism. Let's just get rid of it. Uh, we'll knock it on the head. Put your hand in front of you and flex your wrist. You presumably first had a thought. Flex my wrist. That then caused your wrist to move. That's how it seems. But Benjamin Libet's experiments in the 1980s have cast some doubt on that. In his neuroscience lab, he wired up subjects to an EEG machine measuring brain activity via electrodes on their scalps and then asked them to choose to perform a simple hand movement when they felt like it. He also got them to record the time at which they made a conscious decision to move their hands. Disconcertingly, he found evidence of brain activity initiating the movement hundreds of milliseconds before the conscious decision was reported. In other words, his experiments seemed to show that the conscious decision didn't cause the movement. Oh, for fuck's sake, not Harry Shearer as well. So it turns out that the you know that there's been experiments since then that kind of reinforce this, and there's a lot of controversy around it. 
a lot of scientists say you can't really, you know, that the measurement wasn't really accurate and, and whatever, you know, there's, there's enough doubt about it. But, but as a philosophical concept, this idea that we don't have free will, I don't know, it has a certain resonance for me. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it feels truthful. And I suppose it's this. If the things that happen to us are going to happen regardless of what we do, and we don't have free will, and all we're doing is telling the story of what happened to us after the fact, making sense of it and tying together all the loose ends, then that makes the art of storytelling even more important, which is exactly what this podcast is about. And maybe you don't need to have the free will to act in your life if you have the free will to interpret the stories that are occurring that you're a character in. Maybe the freedom to tell the story after the fact is the ultimate freedom as opposed to being a lack of freedom. And in some ways that is counterintuitive, but in another way there's a certain uh, symmetry to it. There's a certain harmony and balance to that idea. And you might notice that uh, you know on the website and so on, uh, one of the slogans that I've associated with this podcast is life happens and we're just the storytellers. And that's exactly this idea that I'm talking about. There's a certain beauty in the idea that we're more the observers and interpreters of reality than we are the actors that make reality happen. And who's to say that the stories we tell about our lives aren't just as valid as the you know, factual events that are occurring? We've spoken before about how stories don't need to be true to have power and to change our lives. Then why are we so obsessed with truth when it comes to factual events? And isn't that the point at the end of the day? That the stories that we tell about ourselves become who we really are. But there's a problem in that as well. Wouldn't that make us more likely to become attached to the stories that we tell and to ignore conflicting narratives? In 1959, Leon Festinger published his work on a theory of cognitive dissonance. This theory helps explain human behavior by describing the internal thought processes which could lead to particular behaviors and is described as a theory of cognition in behavioral psychology. So what is cognitive dissonance theory? Simply put, cognitive dissonance theory states that if a person holds two incompatible beliefs or behaves in a way which is incompatible with a currently held belief, they will experience emotional discomfort referred to as dissonance. This discomfort pressures the person to resolve that internal inconsistency as soon as possible, which can be achieved in a few different ways. Fessinger provides several ways in which a person could be expected to behave from this hypothesis. To resolve feelings of dissonance, a person may change their cognition, which is to say they may change the way they think about something or change their belief altogether. They may change their actions or behaviors to coincide with their beliefs, or the person may require selective information which justifies the previous behavior. The Rational Channel on YouTube with an explanation for cognitive dissonance. So why is cognitive dissonance such an uncomfortable feeling for us humans? Presumably it's because the information that we're getting contradicts the stories that we're telling ourselves and hence threatens our worldview. And there's actually research out there that suggests that uh, letting go of an idea, uh, you know, a core idea that affects our worldview 
um, is just as difficult as letting go of a loved one who's passed away. That we actually go through all of the stages of grief when we're forced to let an idea that we hold close die. That means it's important enough to us that we're correct in our interpretation of our reality that we'll get defensive and even aggressive sometimes if that position is challenged. And how much of our behavior is really just protecting our stories? If we look at the world in this way, you know, is it easier to make sense of things than to assume that everybody else's behavior is somehow rational? And how do we explain, you know, shows like Mythbusters or Adam Ruins Everything, which are both predicated on the very concept of giving the audience cognitive dissonance, taking an established idea that the majority of people believe in and completely fucking it up for life? Why is it in that case we get a hit of dopamine at the realization that we're wrong about something instead of feeling this discomfort and pain? that comes with cognitive dissonance. It's, it's quite bizarre, really, when you think about it. So my mother was supposed to be the kind of woman who did everything wrong, but ended up living longer than all the ones who did it right. And I've always loved this story about my mum. I've always bought right into it and uh, retold it and spread it as much as I could. Um, she smoked, she drinks, um, and she lives with the philosophy that there's really no point in going through life if you don't enjoy the ride. And my whole family loves the story that she tells. Uh, everyone that she knows loves the story that she tells. And perhaps they don't realize or don't think of the idea that my mother's father died of cancer and he did so just a few years after he quit smoking. And I'm sure you've heard that story before as well, that, um, that quitting smoking can be as harmful or more harmful than continuing to smoke. It's, it's a story that science does not back up, um, but it's a story that people tell themselves nevertheless. Most of those people are smokers. Well, let's face it, they're, they're, they're all smokers. And my mother was one of them. She always said she would never quit smoking because that was what killed her father. Well, a couple of months ago, my mother was diagnosed with lymphoma. The story that she told herself no longer held water. She'd come up against health issues and they were completely consistent with the reckless way she'd treated her health uh, throughout her entire life. And I guess everyone in the family and all her friends uh, had to deal with the loss of this story in their own way. And keep in mind, my mother's had treatment and she's going through it all and she's probably going to be okay. There's a very good survival rate for this kind of cancer and the treatment that she's getting. We're not dealing with the idea that she's likely to die, but we are dealing with the loss of that story. And it's been an interesting process because in a way it's a, it's a form of cognitive dissonance and it's not the form that hurts, but it's not comfortable either. It's the kind of cognitive dissonance that just makes you feel kind of weird all the time. It's something that you can't really talk about 
but you're kind of thinking about all the time that um, this woman who was supposedly going to live forever is somehow more mortal than she was supposed to be. And now we've all got to adjust our stories. I don't have a way to wrap all of this up in a neat bundle or a final statement. Um, I'm just thinking these things through and uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, something to chew on. Um, perhaps in a future episode we'll be able to make more sense of it all. Uh, but, you know, that's what I want this podcast to be, just an exploration of ideas. And I don't want to be giving any answers. So until next week, I guess we'll leave this one on another cliffhanger. Or maybe we'll even finish it mid-sentence. <laughs>